0: Welcome back to Common Fan Commentary. I am your host Adam. I'm joined by my friends
1: Ronnie and Rob. Yo yo. <laughs> Howdy guys. Glad to be back. How have you guys been? Honestly, I'm a little bit disappointed that there weren't any significant upsets, in college football last weekend. So I've been better.
2: How about you, Ronnie? I've been pretty good, man. I was in San Fran recently in California, so that was that was an enjoyable time and to see some new stuff. So I've been good. We got all football on the docket
0: today. That's what's going on right now. All of our other sports are unfortunately in their off seasons. Can't wait for them to be back. So it's all American and continental football here today. So let's get started. This past week, we saw the NFL trade deadline. Time that's typically crazy. Seeing a lot of veterans changing teams. This year was a lot more tame. Uh, we saw this kind of across all sports where teams aren't as willing to go, go for broke. But even with a normal season... For the most part, for the NFL trade deadline, not a lot of action, but we did see some interesting moves that we're going to talk about. First up, Jets linebacker Avery Williamson, 29 years old, traded to the Steelers to cover for their injury in Devin Bush, going from 0-8 tank team to 7-0 contender.
1: You know, coming from a player's point of view, couldn't get much better than that. I saw, I think I saw a
2: tweet where it was like waking up in the morning just to realize you're seven and zero instead of zero and eight, and he just like wakes up like ready to go. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't think it gets much better.
0: But well, he is actually a pretty solid linebacker. Provides them some much needed linebacking depth, just because they had a, a pretty significant injury to their starting middle linebacker, and I he just gives them solid depth. Most all these trades um, in the trade deadline, you only give up like compensatory picks. So like fifth or sixth rounder. So uh, they picked him up for a sixth rounder. And, you know, the Jets just unload some veteran salary. And he's been playing on the Jets for a long time. So this is a, he's actually going to a locker room that's used to winning. And that must be really strange for him.
1: Yeah, a bit of a culture shock.
0: All right. We saw another pro bowler headed to a different team. Chargers cornerback Desmond King traded to the Titans. He's only 25 years old. And Chargers seem to just sell because they are clinically choking on games. It Hails to their San Diego days on how bad they're choking games. But Desmond King headed to the Titans, who need much help in the secondary. Uh, we saw them really get blown up this past week, so they get a, a Pro Bowler talent in Desmond King, and he's also a Pro Bowl punt returner.
2: Ooh, paying for the buck, right? <laughs> they got him for a sixth round pick, so it's not even like. It's a, it's a high value for the Chargers to let him go to the Titans. So maybe they're just trying to open up some cap space. Maybe they just realize, hey, we have too too much depth at, at this spot. I don't know, for a six-round pick for someone who's 25, pro bowler, it seems like the Titans got a steal.
0: Yeah, I'm just very curious at what, I, I mean, he is near his next contract extension, so the Chargers could be looking at that. But they have much higher paid corners on their team that they can definitely trade instead of youth. And it's just a little bit questionable from our, an already depleted Chargers defense. But we'll see how that pans out. One of the bigger moves this week, the 49ers trade linebacker Quan Alexander to the New Orleans Saints. He is a solid linebacker, or at least he used to be. He's been hampered by injuries the past couple of years. And we've kind of seen a decline in ability. So Saints are getting a much-needed piece at their defense. Linebacker has been a struggle for them for the past, I don't know, since Jonathan Vilma, maybe. And yeah, I mean, he's a great, good player, don't get me wrong. But it's a questionable move because of the Saints cap situation.
1: Yeah, and... I mean, looking at the the notes, like this might take a while to explain, like what's going on with the Saints' cap. Do you mind clearing that up?
0: Oh, most certainly. This year, that's not what what I'm really looking at. This year, they're win-now mode. Even though they have probably the worst secondary in the league outside of their starter, Marshawn Lattimore, the secondary depth is terrible. We see it week in, week out of deep routes getting beat. It's just the Saints, man. That's just how they how they've been the past (laughs) since they were conceived in New Orleans. Drew Brees has a ticking clock on his career. He only has maybe this year, maybe only one more after that. And so they they're trying to win that Super Bowl now. But I don't see them doing that with the secondary that they have. But anyways, we're here to talk about the Quan Alexander trade. Linebacking core gets short up a little bit if he stays healthy. So what this does to them for their twenty twenty one cap space let's let's talk about some issues there, so they're adding thirteen point four million dollars in quan alexander that's okay that's what you pay a superstar right yeah, and Quan's not quite that guy anymore either i mean that's just what happens at the end of your career after a bunch of injuries outside of that so they have to pay taysom hill sixteen point one million dollars or they're projected to who's a thirty year old backup he plays receiver plays running back sometimes he's that specialty You know, you don't know what's going to happen, guy, when he's on the field. Plays slot sometimes, but they put a first-round tender on him last year. For those that don't know, in restricted free agency, where you're still, you're not quite up to the end of your contract from when you were a rookie, if a team places a tender on you, that means if another team tries to sign you, the, uh, the team that currently holds you gets a chance to match that offer. And if... The player takes the other team's offer, then they would have to trade that pick. But if he stays with the team, then they have to pay him like the round tender they put on. So they put a first round tender on an aging quarterback who has no real NFL snaps. So they have to pay him $16.1 million next year. Yikes. That's a 16.1. They don't have to pay him that necessarily if they can release him and there's dead cap. But his current cap hit is $16.1 million. Janoris Jenkins who they signed from the Giants because he was cut, is going to have a $14.2 million cap hit next year. Nick Easton, who is their backup center guard, $7 million. Malcolm Brown, who is third in their defensive tackle rotation, $6 million. Drew Brees is a $36 million cap hit next year, based on the extension he signed when he was contemplating retirement. Patrick Robinson, who he's been hurt 90% of the time, his stint with the Saints, $3.5 million. And then, so they're adding Quan Alexander, who's $13.4 million cap hit, who's already declining inability and durability, to a team that's already ridden with cap hell. Yeah. And already one. currently, they are $92 million over next year's cap already. So they're going to need to do some seriously creative bookkeeping to see how they can get under that cap, but also draft players next year and be able to sign for agents and improve your team. Because as of now, they can't do that.
1: Bro, I wonder if they're banking on Breeze just like retiring like, after the season.
0: I mean, they have to. Even if he does, though, who's your quarterback? Who will be 31 years old that you're paying 16 mil to? Who has yet to start a single game for you?
1: Do the Saints have their uh, number one draft pick, the first round pick?
0: Yes, but since they are a contending team, they'll probably be 20 plus.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's still, like, quarterbacks to pick up. This isn't a
0: quarterback-heavy class, though.
1: True. I mean, yeah, that's true. Like
0: Something that I think needs addressing, though, is the Saints are going to have to have, like, Manchester City levels of bookkeeping in order to get out of the situation they're currently in. They're still offering their current players extensions, and they're not even, like, the guaranteed best team in the league right now. Like, it makes sense if they were, like, a dynasty, and they're trying to lock in that dynasty. It's like, well, no, they've had some good playoff runs, but they keep getting beat in the NFC playoffs. So,
1: yep. hey, if you ask me, somebody needs to knock some sense into the Saints. <laughs> knock some sense into the. Oh, I can't believe you just did that. Okay. Yes, Speaking
0: of knocking Saints, we got to talk about this past week where we saw Chicago Bears wide receiver Javon Wims just absolutely go ham on safety Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. Let's let's just take a look at a little video, and we'll return here in a second.
1: Oh, my God. <laughs> this receiver has, like, three Saints hanging off him, bro.
0: So the way this developed, this was going on for a long time. You don't just run up to a guy and smack <laughs> him and his reason was going 11 plays back they were they were kind of jawing at each other Saints defender Gardner Johnson he grabs his mouthpiece out of his mouth and throws it on the field now Wims has to sit out for a play because he lost his mouthpiece it was third down and then they didn't convert so they have to punt it so Wims is still not on the field then the Saints have to drive the ball while Wims is just sitting there waiting to get back at him and First play of the next drive, Wims is finally on the field with Gardner Johnson at the same time, and then he just goes off on it. As we see, he clocks him in the head, loses it, and I think this he went to Georgia and Gardner Johnson went to Florida, so I think this also has a little bit of some past rivalry, a little bit of history to it a little too. He is going to be suspended two games for his action. Uh, He tried appealing it, and it was swiftly, swiftly denied. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> yeah, dude, I gotta say the most irritating thing about that would be that you have to get in your mouthpiece. And, you know, if you don't have, like, mouthpieces on deck, just using, like, a fresh one is, like, the most irritating thing to your gums.
0: Okay, but so it, he alleged that Gardner Johnson not only ripped his mouthpiece out, but he spit on him, too, um, which <laughs> was denied as well. I'm not sure if that actually happened. Haven't found any footage that shows that. But we definitely have footage of him reaching up to his face mask, ripping it out of his mouth and throwing it on the ground. Were Javon Wim's actions justified?
1: Uh, no.
0: (laughs) If this was hockey, that's what you do, right? But he sat there and he thought about what he could have done for 10, 11 plays. (laughs)
1: Like
0: he sat on that and just like built that rage to go at him.
1: Oh, it could have been worse. I mean, at least like he went up to him like to his face and started fighting with him rather than like hitting with a cheap shot like mid-play, right? Definitely could have been worse, I think. I just
2: find it kind of funny how he just kind of skips over to him in a hop, you know that phrase like a s- hot skip and a jump or whatever, just right right over to him and just clocks the guy. And I'm like, "Wait, where did this come from?" Do I think it's warranted in the outcome of like the game in itself i understand frustration and you know being upset at a player but i just don't think you you make that kind of play especially at a professional level it just looks bad team gets penalized it just seems like a lack of discipline and i i don't know it's fun as a as a entertainer as a fan watching tv don't get me wrong like of course but if you're a player on his team and you see him doing that, and maybe it's like a third down and ten, and you just did that, and you give him a first down. It's kind of like, dude, are you serious? Like, It's not worth it, you know?
0: Yeah, I don't see any action being warranted that. I mean, I do appreciate how, like Rob said, that he didn't try for a cheap shot mid-play, didn't risk injury that way. I mean, he went right up to him, and Basically told him what he thought. Do you think two games is too lenient?
1: Nah, two games isn't too lenient. I mean, he, like, basically just slapped him twice after ripping his mouth guard out.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, it it is. They do have helmets. So it's kind of like a hit there, and you're just kind of protecting it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, dude, no. Two games, I feel like that's fair. Fair enough. You did You did walk up to him, rip his mouthpiece out, and slap the hell out of that helmet. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, sorry, Javon. Um, ruled guilty by a common fan commentary. Champions League, match day three. Going over some highlights, recapping latest matches.
2: With match day three, we have to start at the top, man. Diego Jota for Liverpool has his first Liverpool hat trick in a just abysmal beating of Atalanta five zero. Came in from Wolverhampton. He was all he was already pretty good for them. He was kind of a key key piece to their starting eleven. And of course, you know, Liverpool sweeped them up. Now, do you think he should receive more starts from here on out after his Champions League performance and the way he's been playing in his Premier League appearances?
0: You always play the hot hand, right? And Jota is a man on fire currently. So I, at this point, why play for Firmino when Jota's doing so much for you? And if you have Salah Mane healthy, and you can just rotate in for Firmino, that's a good way to go deep into Champions League. Is have a solid rotation, especially up front. You can get guys rested. You can keep guys from injury. And especially with kind of an aging core with Firmino, Salamane, who are all almost thirty, it it can't hurt to play Jota while he's hot. Let him keep scoring, and it if he turns out to be a better option for you than Firmino, that's just even even better for Jurgen Klopp and the Reds. So uh, it's it's scary seeing Liverpool rebound so quick, even after as many injuries as
2: as they've had.
0: You got to play the high hand.
2: For sure, I mean, soccer. A lot of it, just like any sport, right? It's about the hot hand, who who's firing on on all cylinders, and Jota has come in, filled in that role really well. And I mean, you can't you can't discredit anything from Jurgen Klopp, right? Like he he made his name at Borussia Dortmund when you know he probably had the caliber of names compared to Bayern or Real Madrid at the time, and was still getting wins getting Champions League finals. So you can't discredit anything from Klopp. He's, he is a smart manager, proving why they brought him to Liverpool. He's proved why they, by winning the Premier League last season and winning a Champions League, that man knows what he's doing. But I do think Jota deserves, if this is the form he has, he deserves to be on that field because he's just, he, he's he's hot right now. Not like that.
0: It's, it's real scary to see Liverpool just rebound from I mean, a quote-unquote season where they won the Premier League.
2: And I think they're finding a more stable backline after you know, a few games of Van Dijk going down. I think Jurgen has been able to pinpoint more of a firm backline that he wants with Van Dijk out. And so I think if he's able to find you know, the starting back four without Virgil in there, then I think they're going to just easily go back up to the top and just kind I wouldn't say be the exact same Liverpool because I don't think they will be. I think last season, they just... All those stars aligned and everybody was playing amazing. But they'll definitely be a force to be reckoned with in the Champions League and the Premier League. Now, moving on to another big Champions League team, your team, Adam. Bayern comes back from 2-1. to one, They were down 2-1 to one, to win... Six to two. I know we mention it a lot, but is this the same Bayern team from last season? Are they better this season? What what do you see different about this year's Bayern?
0: This Bayern is I don't there is a weird aura that feels different from this team. Last year it felt like a great combination of youth and veteran leadership. This feels like a lot younger Bayern. This feels like more explosive more scoring potential. I mean, when they acquired Leroy Sané, they got Douglas Costa on loan. They basically just increased their wing depth exponentially. And then they actually got a solid backup striker for Lewandowski. So if Lewandowski doesn't want to play, then they can actually explore that option instead of having him play every single game. So they just got depth everywhere they needed it. And they were able to... I mean, honestly, Thiago was probably going to be on the decline after this because he was starting to age out of Byron's squad. And I think they sold him at the right time because now it just left Corrington Taliso and people like Kimmich and Leon Goretzka. Now they can take on all those possession and touches that Thiago is typically getting. So this Byron team is honestly a little bit scarier because now they're on, these young midfielders are on the up. They get to explore more options in terms of scoring, and I feel like this is just a younger, pacey or Bayern, which is scary, concerning they, how they won the Champions League last year. Uh, I think this they are a different team. Uh, we are seeing a lo- lot more goals conceded, which could be an issue. But they're having everyone score. Like this past match, they had Lucas Hernandez playing left back score. They had Jerome Boateng score. Everyone scoring for them at this point and. If they can keep, it's hard to keep this streak all season, so uh, it, it is a long season, so don't don't call them repeats yet, but I do think they are a much different
2: team than they were last year. Do you think there's anybody in the Champions League that they might struggle with or be maybe surprised with in their bracket run? I don't see them struggling in their group round, um, but maybe in the knockout stages that you might say, hey, this is the team that Bayern should look out for. The, the Bayern, Bayern Killer, League? you mean? The Bayern killer, yeah. <laughs> AKA the the German killer in the in the World
0: Cups. So Yeah, right. I'm honestly looking domestically, in RB Leipzig, if they make it out of their group, which they do have a tough group with Man United and PSG, I think that Leipzig did beat Bayern earlier in their Bundesliga match. I I wanna say Leipzig might be that really like Underdog that they should look out for because they are very familiar with Bayern. But if I'm going to have to pick a different team of that a more realistic team, I guess would be a healthy PSG, and that's kind of a lot to ask for right now with Neymar and Mbappe on the shelf. But if once it gets to knockout stages and they get healthy, I think a healthy PSG puts another run for their money against Bayern.
2: I always find it difficult when it comes to teams facing Bayern. I think something Bayern has over a lot of teams that they do really, really well is just disciplined play, right? They know their roles. They know where the the gaps and the spaces are on the field. And that's why they're able to take teams apart like they did with Barcelona or, you know, that they do with realistically almost any team. So their style of play is very disciplined and very aggressive. And for example, when, like, Alfonso Davies makes a run, you know, up his side, someone's going to stay back and cover. Like, I don't see them creating too many holes. So I think that's one thing that Byron has done really, really well in the last few years where they've dominated is just how disciplined of a team they are, regardless of players on the field.
0: A weird stat that I saw was any match that Lucas Hernandez has started for Byron, they have yet to lose and he's pl- started about 26 matches. He's either lucky charm. I I guess. I mean, he's a solid player and it, it, he really struggled to get started after Byron splashed their record transfer fee for him. So, he, I feel like that had added, added a little pressure and he was coming off a pretty serious injury and trying to recover from that. And so, there was high expectations and he was coming off of, you know, athletic declining athletic ability from a knee injury. Once he got healthy, now he's Solid piece, and is covering for her hurt Alfonso Davies. It's like they haven't missed a beat all right, from group A to group B, guys, I gotta tell you the weirdest, weirdest group that I've ever seen right It just epitomizes twenty twenty just like what is this year all right, ready, so favorites to win the group is Real Madrid. They barely come back in matches against Inter Milan and Bayer Mochen Gladbach. And then they started off losing to Shakhtar Donetsk. Real Madrid struggling kind of opens the group up for the rest of the teams, right? So Inter Milan, who, who we think may, might be second or third in this group, uh, they draw with Shakhtar and Mönchengladbach. And then Mönchengladbach then destroys Shakhtar 6-0. Who's winning this group? It's like rock, paper, scissors almost. Who do you think's winning this insanely close group of everyone's beating one another?
2: It really comes down to, I think the the one that could make a surprise is Shakhtar Donetsk. After, I think they're riding a momentum, just because I know that they beat Real Madrid at home. And then lost to Gladbach 6 6-0? Listen, sometimes it's not about how big of a loss it is. It might be just more of a momentum boost beating a bigger club. But I think the Nets. in my opinion, that's that's the team to look out for in that group. Even if they just qualify a second, I think they might make a wave, at least in the knockout rounds. But it just sounds like the NFC East, just a little bit better. They just <laughs> don't know who, who wants to win yet. You know what I mean? It's like, it's better than the NFC East, but it's the same formula of like, no, you win. No, 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 you win. Yeah, I don't
0: know so. what, how to make heads or tails of that group, especially with how much Real Madrid struggles this
2: year I, it just it epitomizes how crazy this year is i feel like i just think shaktar the Nets might be the ones to peer their head right at the end and qualify that that's kind of who my pick is we'll see if it works out yeah that 6-0 route isn't something to to be like oh for sure they're the ones but sometimes you just get clobbered and other times you're like all right we needed the shock to the system you know and then you, you move on and you play better
0: yeah, this this group is definitely going to be decided on the last match day, like the last minute. It's going to be like the 90th minute of whatever match, of whatever, like, this team has to beat this team, and if this team beats this team, then this happens. And It's going to be one of those, like, super long conditionals that is going to be decided in, like, the 95th minute of the last match of group stages.
2: It, it honestly might just come down to, like, a goal differential, um, because realistically speaking... Other than maybe Internacional, everybody is at 4, and Mönchengladbach is at 5 points. Internacional is at 2, so actually, even they might be able to sneak in under 2nd place. So it might just come down to goal differential for for the 2nd and 3rd place teams. It's going to come down to away goals and aggregates and goal differentials, because it's too close to tell. It's going to have those little asterisks at the top left of the scoreboard of like, Who needs what to move on? Yeah, you're definitely
0: going to have to watch multiple games at once to figure out this one. Oh yeah, for sure. Now we'll send it off to College Football Roundup with Rob.
1: Thank you. So I think the best place to start would be with the Clemson game. I think we can all thank Adam for cursing Trevor Lawrence with coronavirus. (laughs) Even without Trevor Lawrence... They still got the job done against Boston College. What do you think about that?
0: Boston College had the game in the first half. They were playing aggressive. They were excited. Clemson was holding their hands in their heads other way around. They were holding their heads and their hands. And, yeah, you're welcome, Trevor. Um, the quote, I guess, from last episode was, nothing is wrong with Trevor Lawrence, end quote. So, um, <laughs> you're welcome. DJ, I can't pronounce your last name. True freshman.
1: Ukulele. 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 Weegalele? I have no idea. Ouija-lele? Like Ouija-lele? That's what they
2: use to win the game. Relax. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Put on a strong performance, and he didn't really make a ton of mistakes and was able to lead Clemson back to the win. It, it, Boston College got too conservative. They had a lead, and then they tried to play passive and tried to running the ball when they should have really passed it. And trying to get that clock out before Clemson comes storming back. And you can't you can't play a great team like that.
1: Yeah. Boston, you're no bamboo. You can't just run the clock down when you have the lead.
0: So you got you gotta keep the foot on the gas pedal. I mean that's that's across almost all sports. They, I guess they just kinda of ran out of steam. And yeah. Clemson gets another dub and with DJ as the at the helm.
1: Yep, DJ definitely uh defied expectations, you know. And I was pretty worried for Clemson, but like pretty happy when I saw Boston College was winning. But what's going to be very interesting is the DJ is going to have to bring this Clemson team up against Notre Dame this upcoming weekend. What do you predict for that, Adam and Ronnie?
0: Yeah, Notre Dame, I never know what how to rate this team or how to... I never know what to think of this team until they play, play other ranked teams. I think with the way DJ played, Against Boston College, especially the second half, we saw Travis Etienne. He wasn't as dominant on the ground, but this time he led them in receiving. So I think if they get him involved in one way or another, honestly, you can just put this on, put this game on the back of Travis Etienne, whether it be dump passes out of the backfield or handed it off. Um, I think it, it's going to be up to him. If DJ can just not make mistakes like he did against Boston College, not, throw, not turn the ball over, don't make costly plays. Then I think Clemson can pull it out again, but that's just because I have no trust in Notre Dame. Only a win against a ranked team can solve that distrust.
1: I don't know. I I will I will always root for the underdogs, and Notre Dame you can't really consider them an underdog right now. But since they haven't played any ranked teams, I would I would still consider them an underdog against Clemson.
2: If Notre Dame takes anything away from the Boston College Clemson game, is they need to come out strong and aggressive against Clemson because I think if they can build the lead like Boston College did I don't see Notre Dame letting off the gas like Boston College also did and at least on paper they're they're a more skilled team than Boston College if they can reproduce what Boston College did to Clemson I don't see Clemson coming back they might make it close but I don't see them pulling out the win without Trevor if Notre Dame does what Boston College did to Clemson.
0: I saw a lot of defensive inefficiency, though, in that Boston College game, and that's what really changed in the second half. It felt very momentum. It felt like they didn't show up for the first half because they knew they didn't have Trevor. But I feel like Clemson defense this time around, they're going to show up because they realize that they have a good quarterback playing for them, and they got a good shot to win the game. and. With the the team they have outside of quarterback, they are a very strong team. And so I I think that they they still have a good shot against Notre Dame, no doubt.
1: So up next, Michigan fell to Michigan State. The writing is on the wall for Jim Harbaugh. What do you guys think about that? Is Khaki Boy, is his time limited? Is the clock ticking for him?
0: Jim Harbaugh is 0-5 against their biggest rival in Ohio State. Now, that's not saying a ton because Ohio State's a very strong team year in and year out, but you haven't won a single game against them in five years. Let's look at how they do against Michigan State then. They're in-state rival. So overall, Harbaugh is 3-3 three and three against Michigan State. With the amount of like Jordan endorsements and hype behind these teams and the strong recruiting classes that we see out of these Michigan systems... We would expect that they would be beating Michigan State more often than not. And it's not like they're just splitting the home road differential either. They're losing at home most of the time against Michigan State. And at some point, Michigan's got to question the guy at the helm, and that's Jim Harbaugh. They've had several quarterbacks. That's always been kind of the weakness of Michigan for the past as long as I can remember watching college football, it was the quarterback position. And even when they poached Shea Patterson from Ole Miss, even he couldn't produce. There are strong defenses in the Big Ten, but at this point I think yeah, we need to start we need to start scrutinizing what's going on in the coaching staff.
1: Jordan sponsorships and trips to Rome aside, it's not looking like Jim Harbaugh is the future for Michigan. And we've been giving him years and years to try to prove us wrong. But it's, you got you have to beat Ohio State at least once if you're going to coach Michigan.
0: Even if you like lose all of your games, beating Ohio State is like first priority. Yep. That almost feels like a bigger priority than qualifying for a bowl game. <laughs> is You need to try to beat Ohio State. Even if you complain about, oh, they haven't had a good quarterback there. It's like, well, they've had five under Jim Harbaugh. Maybe it's not the quarterback. Can't say it's the rest of the team because the rest of the team are getting drafted in the NFL.
1: Yeah, they had like thirteen players drafted a couple of years ago. Exactly, which in is insane. If you're
0: recruiting that well and getting that that strong of a talent,
1: if the if the decision to move away from Harbaugh is made, who do you think uh, Michigan is going to
0: hire? Urban Meyer is still out there, but I don't. I really don't see. Him coaching Ohio State, then coaching Michigan. That, that just feels wrong.
1: Oh, man, but that rivalry would be so heated if he did that. True. Think about the content.
0: <laughs> For the content, <laughs> For the yes. Con-
1: hey,
2: there you'll have a wide receiver punching a coach instead of wide receiver punching a corner. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, honestly. Next up, the Big 12 falls again. L's were given to Oklahoma State and Kansas State. Which is kind of unfortunate, but the Big 12 as a conference, honestly, just intentionally throwing away any chance of making the playoffs. They
0: feel just like Group B in Champions League. They just all beat up on one another, so there's no clear winner.
1: Next up, let's go to the SEC. The only thing I have a note is the Kentucky loss to Georgia. Does that mean we're going to be seeing another Georgia-Bama SEC championship? I
0: don't know if there was any doubt that that was going to be the championship. That should just be like the Iron Bowl at this point, is the SEC championship is Alabama-Georgia.
2: Whoa, whoa,
1: whoa. Don't don't forget about A&M, all right? Wait, A&M's not in the Big 12 anymore? Is the SEC losing games this whole time? I had no idea. <laughs> at least they're losing games in the SEC and not in the Big 12, right? <laughs> yeah, I'd love to get, be a punching bag for Bama, too.
2: <laughs> hey,
1: at least we're not a punching bag for TCU, okay? Yeah, uh, there you go. Oh, that hurt, that hurt. <laughs> who hasn't been a punching bag in the group of five, Cincinnati. Cincinnati handled the former conference championship Memphis. I personally think they're top 10 verified because of that. What do you guys think?
0: I have a hard time believing strongly in the American conference. If you haven't like picked up on my typical opinions of teams who are dominating unranked teams, I'm very skeptical. Hence Notre Dame, Cincinnati. It it's hard to say they're bona fide top 10. They, I know Memphis did win their conference championship last year, but nonetheless, they are a different team than they were last year. So Cincinnati's a good team, sure. If they we had an expanded playoffs where we had five conference champions going to the playoffs in like an eight seed format, yeah, put them in. But uh, I would not see them as like a top four at all.
1: Jeez, give the smaller schools some credit. Adam. I
0: mean, hey man, it we'll see how it plays out in bowl games. I mean, that's that's kind of the great equalizer. If uh, hopefully bowl the game. yeah, hopefully they get a matchup to where they play a power five school that actually wants to win the game and isn't just like deflated from
2: losing from
1: not making the playoffs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hopefully, we can get some noise from these group of five teams, such as Coastal Carolina you think they're going to continue to make some noise throughout the season?
0: Well, sure. They're going to keep smacking around people in their own conference because like, mm-hmm. the disparity between talent in those conferences is so large. It's just UCF round two. That's all, all I think in my head. Yeah, UCF beat Auburn, but that doesn't make you national champs.
1: Yeah, I, I would have to agree with you on that. You know. Congrats
0: to Coastal Carolina. I mean, it's been a while since we've seen their name in, uh, this high in the rankings. So, like, great job. You're still undefeated. Keep killing it. I'm rooting for you. You're a new team up there. But at the same time, I don't believe in throwing them in the top four.
1: Yeah, I would cry if the bowl game Cincinnati gets is against Coastal Carolina. That would just be be unfair.
0: Like that. That's not the point of bowl games. The bowl games is to put the little guys against the bigger schools and proving us wrong. I, I want Coastal Carolina to prove me wrong. You know, like I would love a small school to just upset everybody and just. Crush the nation. It's just not going to happen. No playoff committee is going to put these small schools in that, in that scenario.
1: Okay, I don't uh, disagree with you, but I'm glad you said that, Adam. Because uh, chances are you're going to be wrong. <laughs> here,
2: here's the here's the reason I laugh, and there's there's really no correlation here between what I'm going to say and college football. But this is just a fun little flashback memory. When I was in high school, we played Allen High School in the first round of playoffs. This is Allen High School with Kyler Murray at the helm. Um, Cardinal starting quarterback, Heisman Trophy winner for OU. And, and our motto that week going into the game when we were announced that we were going to play Allen first round was shock the nation. Let me tell you, Kyler Murray sat out before halftime because they were up like 48-3. to so <laughs> I, I don't know about little schools upsetting the big schools too much, just <laughs> out of personal experience. To our listeners who are my friends and went to Lake Hound with me, I apologize if you played for the football team. I'm bashing on you, but I'm just like, that's the personal experience I have and shock the nation, break the nation, anything like that typically doesn't go in your favor. Just saying.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I'm always one to root for the underdog, you know, the David versus Goliath. Like the committee won't ever, like if I'm looking at it objectively, if I was a playoff committee, why would I put a team that beats up on its own conference on top of schools who play incredible competition week in week out?
1: Uh, I don't know. I feel like the disparity of talent in like the Power Five conferences is just as wide as a group of five. Um, I wish I had a good example past the SEC because you know the SEC has like Kentucky, Vanderbilt. Missouri.
0: right but you just look at that sec west and it's lsu bama and
2: um
1: i don't think he And them belong to conversation <laughs> i mean so so
2: much slander <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey how long have you guys had jimbo fisher and uh how like many new, like years? conference championships have you played in none because
2: we're with alabama who has had nick saban for like what 10 years
1: nah, that's the whole <laughs> same bro Hey, Baylor was in the Big 12 Championship last year. What was (laughs) A&M doing?
2: Oh, we were playing in the Texas Bowl, was it, last year? (laughs)
1: It's not like the Academy Camping Bowl or something like that? Yeah, it's like the Academy Texas Bowl
2: or something like that now, I think. Hey, don't sleep on the Texas Bowl. That's That's a sweet event.
1: Hey, don't hey our I went out of me either. Sponsor us. I, <laughs> um,
2: I actually, yeah, no, please sponsor us. We went uh, <laughs> to the Texas Bowl between Baylor and two years ago when Baylor was in the Texas Bowl. Vanderbilt. And they, played, they play Vanderbilt. Yeah. yeah at the
1: NRG Stadium in Houston I was there for that game so shout
2: out I enjoy the Texas Bowl shout out Vanderbilt (laughs) there you go
1: all my Vandy guys out there (laughs) all right I think that wraps it up for college football hopefully we'll have some more headlines I'll definitely take some notes during the Notre Dame game
0: appreciate it and I will keep my
2: skepticism as always (laughs)
1: wait who are you cursing this week I want to know who you're
2: cursing oh
0: sorry I gotta say something really good about somebody and be really specific Yeah, yeah. this is testing to see if it works (laughs) Uh, Georgia looks really good this week I see them crushing Florida
1: okay (laughs) I'm excited to watch that game
0: that is all all I will (laughs) say about that kind of starting time to once we have our soccer squads ready for the season uh, now we're starting to see a little bit of problems from certain squads. So, what fires up transfer rumors? We're already getting gearing up for the winter transfer window. It's good to see the transfer gossip back. Honestly, it, it's a lot of fun just to pretend bringing it back to like episode what three with the transfer rumors. Yeah, well, it's, since last season, man, it's been a while. I've missed it. Manchester United. As a top-tier defense, as we know, they're still looking for that second pairing for Harry Maguire. Sevilla center back, Julius Koundé. How do you see him sliding in?
2: Other than Aaron Juan bissaka and I could argue Harry Maguire, Manchester United's back line needs, needs the help, or at least depth. Right? Maybe some rotations, maybe get Luke Shaw. I mean, Alex Tellez was a,
0: was a good pickup for them. He just yet just, oh, to play and match fit yet.
2: Yeah. Exactly. So he's a good pickup. We just haven't seen him on the field yet, right? So it's I think it's more of like a, let's bring you in and, you know, practice. See where you're at right now coming in and maybe give him some minutes. Maybe give him like a lesser Premier League start, maybe against the lower half team. Just because I do think... Other than Aaron Wan-Bissaka, that backline is very inconsistent. Aaron Wan-Bissaka's been playing really, really well, and I think he doesn't get enough credit as a wing back. I mean, but look who he has to cover for, it, though. I don't—it's tough. Yeah. I just hope—like, uh, it really is just tough, because we've harped on Harry Maguire so much. That's why I don't want to, like, harp on him more. <laughs> I really don't. Like, believe me, I, so I think it's more of a adding depth and maybe trying out new rotations, right? bringing in Kowunde, Jules Kowunde, with Harry Maguire, or just just some kind of, bring a freshness into the squad. I think that's really what uh, old Gunnar Skulls are. I Ollie, yeah, I'm just going to call him Ollie. I think that's just what he's trying to do, is just bring some freshness, bring, bring in someone who can maybe just fill that rotation, right? It's kind of like baseball pitching, when you want to keep players fresh and i think that's really kind of what he's aiming for with this transfer. I mean, a lot of
0: man united fans and
2: premier league fans think
0: he's one of the worst tactical and technical coaches that are in the premier league currently and everyone's citing that cardiff city sacked him because he was a good manager. I mean, it it's hard to say for me if Ollie deserves as much criticism as he gets because he went to Man United's board saying, "Hey, here's who I want for my transfer targets for this upcoming window," and they apparently got zero of them. And I'm sure Jaden Sancho was definitely on his list, and that's going to be a saga that will forever never happen. Apparently, so I I don't know. It's hard for me to scrutinize and criticize all managing because he's not. It's like playing chess but someone gives you different pieces than you want. So I think he's doing okay with what he has, especially with the Champions League upset of PSG and stomping RB Leipzig. They just lost today, unfortunately, in Dean Henderson's first Champions League start, which I'm a little bummed by. But um, they did try out Harry Maguire and Alex To Tuans, I do not know how to say his last name. But they tried him out back at center back, and it obviously was not working. So, I think Kounde is vital. Vital. As in, they will probably not qualify for for any kind of Premier League anything if they don't get a center back in this window. And because I said that, now they're going to turn around and win the league. But, (laughs) (laughs) with Bayern defender David Alaba, currently in his contract negotiations with the club, the club just recently withdrew their contract renewal due to exorbitant wage demands most blame his agent for trying to push too much money out of Bayern and if they withdrew that contract renewal I mean someone's probably going to go after him only really a big club can afford him so, Real Madrid and Barcelona could be linked to him. I do think Real Madrid has stated, publicly stated that they are unlikely to spend big on anybody until probably next summer. And, low-key, I think they're trying to save up for Mbappe and shock the world kind of thing. But, David Alaba to
2: Barcelona, maybe? Sadly, I don't think it's going to be Barcelona, uh, realistically speaking. And also because he's not a Dutch player, and Ronald Koeman likes Dutch players. Ronald Koeman wants to focus on the younger generation coming up, whether it be through La Masia or just from different clubs that aren't big name clubs. You touched on it. He's going to go to a big club just because he wants the money. So a big club's going to fork out some money for him. I've heard that the likes of PSG are interested in him, and I was like, of course PSG's interested. They throw money at anybody with a big name. And hope for the best. I think right now, but it might be a little too early to tell where he's going to end up going. But I do know he is definitely not going to get another contract with Byron. Like they've already announced that he's more than likely not going to be there.
0: I mean, he is asking for, like, the difference in wage demands is, like, isn't just a couple thousand here and there. It's, like, millions per year difference. And that's that's pretty huge to a wage budget. And... I think he's too vital to Bayern for them to lose him, especially with Jerome Boateng on the wrong side of 30. I think they have to keep it. Like, they are getting younger at defense, and that's good and all, but Alaba was so key their whole run last year. I want to say pay the man, even though it's a little much, but if he's that important to what you're trying to do, you might have to. I would hate to see him leave for PSG because... You weren't willing to shell out a couple extra million as a as large of a club as you are. So after their summer spending spree, Chelsea, after spending you know a quarter billion dollars, is probably going to spend some more on West Ham defensive midfielder Declan Rice, and the price tag is going to be around sixty to eighty million
2: dollars. I'm waiting for them to be slapped by the financial fair play. I don't know if you are, but I don't. Definitely... <laughs> I mean, they did spend
0: a couple transfer windows on the shelf uh, due to loan uh, obligation infractions. So think that financial fair play would kick in, but they—I think they'd have to spend a little bit more. It's not like they haven't been selling some players and trying to sell some players. So they're like they're trying to move on from Marcos Alonso. They're trying to move on from Kepa, um, They're trying to move on from their their older squad. So they, they are selling players, but yeah, they are spending a ton. But at this point, if Chelsea doesn't get smacked by him, then FFP does not exist. I do think
2: Declan Rice is a good player, though. I know for West Ham, he is, isn't he either captain or captains mm-hmm. occasionally. So he's definitely a player of importance for West Ham, meaning he's one of their bigger names. He was a teenage Academy player for Chelsea until they released him and then he went to West Ham. So he used to be under the Chelsea development system. I don't know. I I, I mean you touched on it. I think what worries more me more is the financial fair play. Just slapping Chelsea and potentially, you know, being the next man city in the Premier League where they get banned and then they have to appeal and it becomes a whole nother headline. But I do think if they get Declan Rice it could essentially be a good a good I mean he's a good player. I just don't know with all the other talents that they brought in where exactly he'll fit in because Frank Lampard's trying to build an entire new squad with, like, non-familiar Chelsea names. You know what I mean? It's going to be essentially, what, seven new players out of an 11, out of a starting 11. That's a whole new core that you're trying to play around. I'm a little worried for how much they're spending and they want results now, now, now. And if they don't get it, it might just be a full, like, team collapse, you know? All in all, Declan Rice is too much money. I just feel like it's an unnecessary spending. Yeah. You
0: know? Yeah, definitely. All right. Now it's time for our favorite headline from the week. My favorite headline this week was a direct quote from the Martial boss, Andre Velas Boas, after Marcial's scoreless in all three of their Champions League matches and, of course, lost all three. So the quote here is, in order to be shit in the Champions League, you have to at least qualify for the Champions League. We did it, and we are being shot uh, <laughs> Got a point. They made it, which is cool and all, but if your squad isn't showing up to the biggest competition you have this year, then do you even deserve to be there? I love the
2: quote. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I, think, I think it should go down on like, the coach's book of, like, memorable quotes from different sports playoffs (laughs) like it should be it's like for us to be this bad we first have to qualify to be this bad i love it but here here's a win for marseille right well i guess the only light in them not doing so hot for any team that qualifies for the champions league each team is given the equivalent of 18 million dollars for reaching the group stage alone With each group stage win, so if they win, which they haven't, they get (laughs) 3.2 million. And then if they even draw, they get an extra 1 million. You know, Marseille could at least pocket 18 million for the club. Uh, Look at the bright side. I don't know. They're pocketing 18 million. If they get a draw, they get an extra, you know, cool 1 million for the club. Hey, it's something to be happy about.
0: All right, so what headline do you have for me,
2: Ronnie? So for me, I definitely have to say, I know I missed it a few weeks ago. In the world of F1, so Formula 1 racing, Lewis Hamilton is the most winning-esque driver in all of history. He broke Michael Schumacher's record of 91 race wins, and he is currently, Lewis Hamilton is currently at 93 wins. After winning this past weekend, broke the record, setting the new record, and he still has, I want to say, a few more years, you know, as a driver for Mercedes. So we'll see what that new number and what that new record's going to be. But I, I just, if you're an F1 fan, you definitely heard about it already. But Lewis Hamilton being the most winning esque driver in F1 history.
0: That's incredible. Do you see him yeah. hitting triple oh. digits?
2: Oh, for sure. I think that man is going to hit triple digits. Uh, Driving for Mercedes, he if he stays with Mercedes and has Bottas as his number two, Valtteri Bottas, he's he's gonna he's gonna probably hit triple digits easily, especially with how long his career is gonna go after this. He's still essentially quote unquote young. You have drivers like Kimi Raikkonen who are like pushing their fifties, so he could honestly break triple digits and more if if it all goes in his favor.
1: Lewis Hamilton is a beast on the track. He's been so dominant his whole career. All right, guys.
0: That is all the time we have this week. Thank you so much for stopping by. Common Fan Commentary is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Podomatic. Be sure to check out our Facebook and Instagram. That's where we post all our questions and news updates on the podcast. Thank you so much, everybody. We'll see you guys next time. Peace.
2: Peace out.